0: Hey everyone, welcome to The Next Level, a podcast from the Team Performance Institute. Here we provide actionable insights on modern leadership and team development, driving higher levels of organizational performance and life empowerment. I'm your host, John Sanchez. Join me and my team as we take you on the journey to the next level. Hey, welcome everybody to the studio. I am here and honored to be here with the great Jonathan Sams, best friend awesome guy mentor to me spiritual mentors my spiritual jedi master in a lot of ways um and today we get to be together and on the next level talk about the podcast jonathan awesome to have you here in the studio my friend thanks for hosting me john i really uh, look forward to today's conversation um look forward to so just by a little bit of background it is dang near impossible to go through jonathan's background in less than about two hours <laughs> so um Let's just, I'm going to try to sum it up in about 30, 40 seconds. Jonathan Sams is an attorney. He's a Navy veteran. Uh, He is, uh, I've known him for about 12 years. Our children were in Cub Scouts together. Uh, I volunteered to be a Cub Scout leader. and He joined me in that voyage, being a Cub Scout leader together. It's great to have a Navy SEAL as your son's Cub Scout leader. We had two Navy veterans, oh, three Navy veterans in our Cub Scout den. Me, you, Alan Stein, and... uh, Side note, we had a lot of fun taking on an Army uh, den leader. I think we beat him in pretty much everything. Every time. Everything we he did. He wore navy shirts his entire Cub <laughs> <Scott> career. <laughs> so we built an awesome friendship over uh, over a decade here in Lebanon, Ohio. Uh, Jonathan's a gentleman farmer. He got me into all kinds of escapades. You've probably seen I do beekeeping. This guy's fault. Uh, brought me to our church access church which i absolutely love brought our children to that we started doing youth group at our house uh their kids our kids basically grew up together spent time uh, jonathan has closer we... than cousins yeah close yeah really closer yeah that's a good way to put it i love that closer than cousins uh we've had man we've had some really fun uh, vacations together family adventures together um he has two twins that are in college now. They just took off uh, to college, and, and um, our oldest went to college as well. So we all went through that process of sending one off, that huge emotional process. Uh, he has two at home now, as as do we. That's right. Um, so uh, we're enjoying raising our children here in the community. Um, this is going to be a really fun and um, hopefully enjoyable, educational, encouraging Maybe a little bit inspirational around Jonathan's battle with cancer. Uh, If you're watching this uh, online and you're seeing this, uh, Jonathan normally has a beautiful head of gray hair that I'm always jealous of. He's got this this beard that a Filipino could never grow. (laughs) Just looks like this great scholar, but uh, right now, as he sits here with me, he is uh, just chemotherapy running through his system. Right, and uh, he's in his third battle with cancer throughout his life, and he is in a battle for his life right now, and uh, a battle that's been beautiful, beautiful to, to witness and to be a part of and to and to join, and, and he's really uh, encouraged a lot of people throughout this. So um, what, what am I
1: missing, my friend, in so terms think, of your background? I think you pretty well covered it, more than covered it, and, and uh, overstated me as well. But, uh, but I've been delighted to uh, really enjoy uh, living life with you and maybe one of the things, maybe out of order, but, uh, but the fact that we get to do these things together. When I first had cancer when I was young, you know, I tried to pretend like I didn't have it in some ways. It was in an advanced stage, but I wore a wig, covered it up, didn't really, uh, I participated with friends, but it's different this time. I'm smarter now. This is just a time in life where we get to rely on each other and we get to enjoy life together and i think that's a really important part of what we do when we go through this yeah let's go
0: let's go back screw up a little bit i want to make sure everybody hears you as yep. you come through this let's go back to i want to bring people back into the history of jonathan sam's and the battle of cancer so when you're 12 years old yeah first time that uh, you experienced cancer but you didn't know it right until you're 14. walk us back into what that experience was like your first battle with
1: cancer. So uh, when I was 12 years old, I was swimming at, next door at my grandparents' pool. And I got out of the pool and uh, came up to my mom and my grandparents under a grove of trees. She saw something under my left jaw. And so you can see a scar here now. She saw something under my left jaw and she felt it. She thought it was swimmer's ear. And for the next couple of years, it continued to grow. And, uh, and we didn't know what it was. Doctors said, you know, maybe a cyst, um, but it got to a point where it was 13 and a half centimeters by nine centimeters by six centimeters under my left jaw and right here without any hair. I mean, you can see the difference in the two sides of my face. Um, how this side is underdeveloped. Eventually I could pull the tumor out and put it on the outside of my jaw. I mean, it was big, it was unsightly, made me feel uncomfortable around another 12, 13, 14. Year I can't imagine
0: that 12 years old. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very formative time for
1: appearance that's right and so eventually i asked mom if i could have it removed for aesthetic reasons and uh, she said okay so we went to the hospital Uh, they removed it the story is that the surgeon uh, was swearing in the operating room because when he saw it he knew what it was and they sent it off to uh to pathology so they could figure out uh, more specifically what it was um, it turns out I was in stage three, um, uh, and uh, my prognosis was poor. Mm. Um, and uh, and uh, they did a staging laparotomy on me, so they removed my spleen, my appendix, my gallbladder. They removed the tumor uh, here, and uh, the next when they when they came in, uh, Dr. Patterson, Dr. Kimball, they were both very somber, and they both uh, both uh, said, "I'm really sorry, you." You have cancer, and uh, it was hot. Uh, diagnosed as nodular sclerosing Hodgkin's disease, and uh, and so for the next year, I had surgeries, I had radiation therapy, um, I had chemotherapy. It was very harsh therapy. Um, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't particularly afraid per se. To tell you the truth, um, uh, I did see other kids around me, and I knew that uh, they were in trouble. I knew that it was risky um, and in some ways one of my analogies is is we were in a burning building we were all trying to escape this burning building we didn't know which ones of us would get out which ones of us wouldn't get out um, and some of us didn't some of us didn't get out of that building um, when they gave chemotherapy in those days they didn't have anti-nausea medicines they uh, don't do drips like they didn't do drips like they do now they would put it into they would put the needle under in my veins. And they would do a push. They'd put all the chemotherapy into my veins at once. You can feel the uh, coldness of the chemotherapy go into your system. You, uh, you could feel uh, sometimes my veins would deteriorate and the chemotherapy would pool under my skin and give me um, third-degree chemical burns under my skin as a result of that. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, diagnostically and what we went through on that, that was kind of the first time through on it, um, but there were some great experiences through that time period, too, some great things I learned through mm-hmm. that time period, which we'll get to when you're yeah. ready to talk about it. So what, so what's the most interesting
0: part of what you just said is you weren't afraid. Yep. I think that would be terrifying for like most pre-teenagers going into a What kept you from, from fear?
1: So I didn't know whether I would live or die, right, but I didn't know I was loved. And uh, as long as I know I was loved, then I felt like it was okay. Hmm. Wow. Um, it's not that I didn't have a realistic assumption as to what was going on or grasp of what was going on. I just knew that uh, I just knew that we would go through it, and uh, and we would just go through this path. In a lot of ways, you don't control the outcome of uh, of the path. You know, you uh, you get to control each day along the path and what you do. The first time, also. Um, you're learning a lot and it's an endurance race. And so you're learning to endure. And as a kid, you're not faced with that kind of thing. Um, but when you're a kid with cancer, then you are. And, uh, and so you learn to endure each step along the way. You learn to endure the pain side of it. And you learn it's okay, that you can endure it. Um, you try to take care of your family and that sort of thing. You try to live your life. You try to be as normal as possible. Um. But I don't know that I had the time to really be, to be afraid, per se. And there's some other parts, too. And, and uh, you know, I want to be frank and, and truthful. And some parts of this I didn't, I, didn't, uh, I didn't grasp until later. But when I was very young, my dad was a minister. My mom would read Bible, Bible stories to us. And my mom read the story of Solomon to us. And Solomon, uh, when he became king... Um, God told him, Solomon, I will give you anything that you ask for. And Solomon prayed for wisdom. And I thought that was a really good thing to pray for was to pray for wisdom. So that's what I prayed for young, before this ever happened. And God gave me cancer. And in your sense, I've decided, you know what? You, uh, you really can't have wisdom without life experience. And so that was part of my the beginning of my journey on life experience, and I've tried to use that um, experience to benefit others and, and to give me perspective on life. And so I can't say necessarily why I wasn't afraid. I can tell you that I wasn't. I can tell you I never cried about it, um, but I can tell you that that's kind of my approach and my thought process is going through that time period and since that time period. Yep.
0: And, and for everybody that's out there, everybody's listening, part of... Part of our our goal today or part of what we're we're seeking to do is for possibly those who are young or possibly those who are receiving a diagnosis or possibly those who i always say we're you know we're one step away from disability in our lives right. you know, at some point we're all going to face big challenges and to help us see here we have somebody that has been through the battle with cancer now in the third battle so you you made it through came out of four, tell us how you came out of four out of 14 and you know, what the, what the re-entry process was to you into now regular life and what were some of the lessons you, you learned from,
1: from a diagnosis that severe at a young age? Yeah. Back to your prior point. Um, I, I definitely want people to know that, uh, that when they go into a cancer battle or any battle in life, that there is hope on the other side that there are good chances that you're going to survive. Uh, uh, and so don't be desperate in any battle in your life, right? Okay. You're faced with the battle. We can't change the fact that you're faced with the battle, but we can change how you face the battle. Right. And so turn and face it and have courage and, 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 and do it, because you have a life to live. And so, uh, what you brought up is, is a really important thing, you know, uh, do be aware, Do take it seriously, but have courage when you go into the battle. I think it's a really important part of of this. Yep. All right, so coming out out of it at age 15, so uh, my family immediately moved to Ohio. I started a new high school. I really didn't want to move to Ohio because the friends that I had were in North Carolina. I had some great friends who helped me uh, go through the uh, battle of cancer. Who would make sure I was out not just every week but almost every day, and so when you're 15, you're hanging around with 15, 16, 17 year olds, and uh, they could drive, I couldn't drive, and so they'd take me out, and uh, and I've told you this story before, but uh, but I had a senior who was a band major, and uh, he would take me on out in his uh, in his uh, Trans Am. And this was in North Carolina. And so we would fly down the roads in North Carolina, total reckless abandon. <laughs> and so when mortality is that close to you, when when, 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 when you're that young and, a, and as a teenager, then you just try to grasp and take life, you know? And uh, so you, you just feel the roar of the engine in the, in the car and in your soul while you're going down those roads. And And in some ways, you just take life with reckless abandon. And I think that's something I still do, you know. I try to I try to surround myself with people who uh who really take life with reckless abandon and who take me on that ride too. Mm-hmm. Right. It's part of the reason why I like you. You know, I mean you have you have a mentality uh to you that, that says, you know what, I'm gonna tackle this thing and I'm and I'm gonna go after it. And so I love being on that ride with you. And uh and so just getting out and, and doing that kind of thing. And uh and so uh you know when you're young I think that's a part of it. I think that's part of going through the process. And I think that's part of the re-entry. We moved to Ohio, I had played football in junior high, I actually got injured, playing football in junior high before my diagnosis, and uh, but came up to Ohio. Cincinnati was one of the top football uh, cities in the country. Number one and number two uh, teams in the country were from Cincinnati. Moeller and Princeton back in those days. And Mount Healthy, where I went to high school, was ranked number three in the city, not number three in the country. But number three in the city behind those guys and so we had a fantastic football team and so i came out of i came out of having cancer as a kid and uh played football at mount healthy and and uh you know i was i was not physically put together i've been through major surgeries i'd had chemotherapy rate radiation my mus- musculature was deteriorated um but i still went out on the football field with these guys by the time i was junior i was starting varsity football and in uh in ohio and uh i remember going through the drills that we did and driving after football my stomach which had been cut down the middle would just go into these golf ball size cramps uh up and down and i'd have to pull my car over to the side of the road and just lay there until these things released because i had no way of making these things release you know and just rebuilding myself physically and uh i think that's part of it so you go through the experience you, you take the shots that the experience gives to you, and then you turn and you face the next part of life and, uh, and you rebuild and you move on from there. Yeah.
0: So you move on and you experience cancer yet again,
1: again. Yep, when I was 39, so many 39. years later. So I joined the Navy and had a Navy uh, career for several years. I went in the Navy. I decided I wanted to become an attorney and so I went to law school, got my jurist doctorate, um, and uh, started my own practice, married my beautiful bride, Julia, and uh, we had the twins in 2003, and in 2006, we had our third child, Sophia, and that was April of 2006. Also in April of 2006, I went to visit my doctor. He took an x-ray of my check, chest, and he called me and said, uh, Jonathan, I'd like you to come and talked to me I said what's it about doc and he said mm, I think you need to come in and see me and talk to me about this I said mm, no tell me on the phone tell me what's going on he said I think the cancer's back and so he sent me in to uh, one of his colleagues who is an oncologist and uh, he saw me the next night after hours and uh, and I was on the I was on the uh, quick road to diagnosis and sure enough uh, this time it was actually a different kind of cancer, still Hodgkin's disease, but this time it was lymphocyte predominant Hodgkin's disease, which is different from the nodular sclerosing Hodgkin's disease. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, I told Julia, uh, what was going on. Of course you have the worries about, you know, three small children at home. And, uh, and so that was the diagnosis my second time having cancer.
0: So tell us about how you got through that diagnosis or how was it different from the first diagnosis when you were 14 to receiving the news? You just want to hear it over the phone. Like you're ready to go at 39.
1: Yeah. So as far as, as far as getting the information, you know, I don't need to be coddled on the information. Just tell me what's going on so I can begin to address it. And of course it's worrying. Like I said, I have small children at home. I have a wife now, Mm -hmm. people who depend on me. And and so I really don't worry about myself on this, but I do worry about my responsibilities and how I can live up to those responsibilities, um, both during what's coming up and, and, uh, and, you know, with the risks associated. And so uh, I would say actually the second time in some ways was a little more challenging than the first time from those perspectives. Yeah. But still not something that that I felt that I wouldn't survive. Yeah. I, I felt from the outset that I would survive both times, both times. I actually felt that I would survive both times. You don't know. Yeah. But you but you still you still go into it with them. I still went into it with a level of confidence. Yeah.
0: Statistically was a prognosis better or worse. The second time you got cancer better, better. So first, first time. Prognosis was poor the first poor. time. Okay. But you know, you go into your thirties and your 30s are so filled with worry for those who decide to start families have kids build you're in that building phase of life it's no longer about you when you're 14 it's all about you that's right in fact it's very hard to see outside of you at the age of 14. now you got five souls including your own on this earth and this diagnosis comes your twins were three three and you had a brand new baby brand new baby was a firecracker one of my best people in the whole world shout out to sophia sams um that's scary yeah i think i don't know how how did you handle that as a as a as a man with a family now this is a different battle you're in what were the challenges at 39 to to have that and still have the courage to move forward
1: so as you know, one of my better qualities. Um, so I'm not stronger. I'm not faster. <laughs> oh, here we go. Get ready, guys. We're gonna get in, <laughs> we're gonna get into a heckling
0: match now. <laughs> All right, here, here we go. Jonathan's gonna play humility, and I get to call him out on my own podcast. This is gonna be great. This is the moment I've been waiting for. What
1: I am <laughs> is more determined. <laughs> right? So. Uh, when it comes down to doing what I'm going to do, I mean, uh, if I have to focus on something, I'm going to focus on it. And I am determined to get through this. I don't have a choice but to get through this. Yeah, And so um, I'm going to do what the docs say. I'm going to be smart about it. My doctor fortunately um, uh, said, okay, this is very unusual to have what we call a very late recurrence if it's the same thing. Or if not, it's very, very strange to have two different kinds of Hodgkin's come up in a single patient 24 years later. And so uh, he sent me to Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. And and I sat down with what was really the retired um, uh, guru of Hodgkin's disease. And uh, he was really smart about it. Uh, He basically said, don't kill yourself treating yourself uh, because you're gonna run that risk. And uh, and so we went through and developed a treatment uh, regimen and I went through that treatment regimen Um, when I was facing the, the diagnosis up front. I was determined to get through it. I was going to do what the doc said. I was determined to keep living life. And I'm also the sole breadwinner for our family. And so I had to keep my business going. I had 11 attorneys working for me at the time. And so I had to keep that part of the business going. I had six staff working for me and uh and so just focusing on the things i had to do while also treating myself so i had a very process oriented life i had a life where i had to be strong I had a life where i couldn't just lay in bed i had to get get up every day and move forward and i was determined to beat it and uh and so like i say, i'm more aware and more concerned but once again i'm not afraid because i have something something to do and i'm going to accomplish it
0: yeah this goes you know and in talking about and studying resilience and studying adversity and studying all these things. And there's, you know, everybody wants to know, how do you get through that toughest time? How do you get through an awful period of your life? How do you get through it? And in a lot of it points back to having a sense of purpose. That's right. Having a sense of who you are, why you exist, the why to your character, what you're all about. And, um, you know, the steadfast determination that you do have, I thought I was going to have to beat you up because you're going to get humble with me, but that steadfast determination to move forward, but your purpose at this point, now you're in your thirties and, you know, you got three kids and you're the only breadwinner and, uh, it's getting up every day. How did, how did you do it? What are some of the ways that you, you got
1: through that? Um, okay. So. Uh, of course, you know I'm a faith guy, right? Mm-hmm. And so I do trust in God. and I don't it, and it's not always the outcomes that you want or the outcomes you expect or even the process that you want. Sometimes the process is is very challenging. Um, but still, you got to re- kind of rely on the sovereignty of God. Uh, there are once again, people around me who love me, and so I rely on on them as well. Uh, and then each day, you, know, you don't, you don't live an idealized life. None of us live an idealized life. We don't live a theoretical life where everything is perfect. Oh, watch what's going on in television. So I'm going to live that perfect life. No, we live the life that we actually live. We live, we're real people That's right. living real life with real challenges. And so sometimes in my case, you know, that challenge has been cancer. You know, with other people, maybe that challenge is a divorce. Maybe that's a different health challenge. Maybe it's someone in your family who's passed away or someone in your family who is facing challenges that that, that you that you struggle with. Mm-hmm. Maybe you lose your job, whatever it is, right? You don't live a theoretical life. You live your life. And so the question isn't, what would a theoretical character on TV do? What are you going to do? And how are you going to keep living your best life to accomplish things? And I think that that's... I think that's really important, and that's, and that's what I was doing. Was I tired sometimes? Yeah. And when I was tired, I had to rest, no question about it. Mm-hmm. But when I could get up and I could move forward, then I would get up and, and I would move forward. And the choices I, I had to make in order to treat myself, I had to make those. And the cho- choices I had to make in order to take my take care of my family, keep them confident and moving forward, I mean, that, you know, that's part of my leadership responsibility to my family, to keep, to keep them going. And so there's no question we're going to keep doing that, and we're going to keep moving towards those goals. Yep.
0: You kind of, it kind of makes me laugh a little bit, around you and rest. Those are two things that I don't put in <laughs> parallel. Ever. The biggest challenge for Jonathan Sams is to sit still. Um, I mean, when if you saw the two of us, our two little gentlemen farms together here in Cincinnati, Ohio, <laughs> one is flourishing with all kinds of activity. I, it looks like I'm standing still when I'm standing next to Jonathan Sams. Uh, and you and rest kind of cracks me up. Uh, but I do think it's part of the path. Right. I do do think that's part of the wisdom and part of what you get when you rest. And a lot of people that that tune into this and like to listen to these things, these are super overachievers that are coming to say, how do I bring my life to the next level? And sometimes going through adversity and being forced to sit back, not move, not be able to do what you think you should be doing, what you think you should be doing to forward your life actually does set you into a place where
1: you can see things more clearly. I think that's true. I think you have to reflect and, and, you know, I could speak a lot about past uh, events, but that's all in recollection now, right? Mm -hmm. What I'm going through now, I mean, I can flat out tell you that uh, that I'm going through, um, you know, some pretty harsh uh, chemotherapy and it will knock me on my back where I'm just staring at the sky saying, okay, I guess I'm gonna stare at the sky for a little while. I don't have a choice on this one. I'll get up when I can, but right now this is a time to stare at the sky. And yeah, I mean, you do you do get to. Maybe I'm just dense, and it takes more than one time to uh, teach me lessons I ought to learn. But uh, but uh, you do reflect on things, and you do think about you know how things ought to be and who you are.
0: Maybe you should stop praying for wisdom. Yeah, I'm telling you, because <laughs> you do. You're going to get it. I and, love your I love your prayer. God, uh, give me humility. But- Please don't make it too hard.
1: That is exactly my prayer. <laughs> you know exactly right. God, make me humble. Don't do want me to be arrogant. And please don't make it hurt. <laughs> uh, so let's walk out of thirty nine. You beat cancer again. Yeah. I or mean, you push it back
0: again, right? Let's let's say you beat. Let's say you beat it. Tell us that process. How long were you on chemo? How long did that last? How did you get through that?
1: Yeah. So most of two thousand and six, I was going through chemotherapy. And uh, and in November of 2006, I had a PET scan, and they said that the cancer was in remission. There was no sign of any tumors. Um, and then I had more treatment through the end of November and in December. December was my last treatment. I went in for another PET scan in, in, uh, in January of 2007, mm-hmm. and the cancer was back. And so... Uh, in 2007, I had recurrent Hodgkin's disease. Now they stage cancers, and I may this this may be imperfect. Um, my my description may not be medically correct. It's my understanding of it. They stage cancers, stage one, two, three, four, and then recurrent. That means they didn't cure it when they went through the treatment regime, mm. which has which is actually more serious than getting staged. That's where I can be a little rough in my in, in my accuracy, yep. um, but um, fortunately, they monitored it and it stopped growing. And so I had then, and I still have nodular lymphocyte predominant Hodgkin's disease. That cancer has never gone away. And so right now I have two malignancies: nodular lymphocyte predominant Hodgkin's disease and Burkitt's lymphoma. So both, um, but fortunately, uh, lymphocyte predominant is an indolent or slow-growing cancer. And so uh, it doesn't hamper me on a day-to-day basis. And one, th- one way or another, I say cancer is the lion in my bed that I sleep with every night, mm. right? Mm-hmm. One way or the other, I do not intend to lose to that cancer. Yeah, yeah. Which is the fight that you're in now.
0: And I'd love to get into get into that and really the outlook that you have right now Yeah. in that fight which is fun but just by just just so everybody is aware now you're in a fight uh, in your 50s yep 55 55 and um, you're getting ready to go on vacation you're actually now you're actually doing a speech
1: overseas I, I had a uh, board meeting overseas that I was invited to be a part of and uh, the, we were invited to be there from May 8th to May 13th. And, uh, i i w I've been having, I've been running, uh, uh, for months, but things had not been feeling good for the last several months. And, uh, I was slowing down. Uh, I was, I was, I, I was, I was at a point where I would run a mile, walk a mile, run a mile, walk a mile, run a mile, walk a mile, where I'd gone from a point where I was running six miles, um, during weekdays and, and, uh, 10 miles up to 16 miles on weekends. And, uh, and so it was a big difference. I didn't know if it was because I had flu or COVID over the winter, which I had both over the winter, and so I was going through this phase of really not knowing what was going on with me. Um, as April this year was going through, I was having trouble digesting food. We went overseas for the board meeting, and, uh, and that Sunday night, May 8th, I ate, I ate a dinner and, uh, and could not digest it. Um, Monday, I was miserable. Monday night, I told Julia, I said, okay, we're going to fly back to the United States because I didn't want to go to a third world country, uh, to their emergency room for how I was feeling. Right. So we hopped on a plane after my presentation to the board on Tuesday morning and uh, flew back to the United States, made it to the, uh, emergency room at midnight and I uh, checked in by the next morning, by midday, the next day, they knew it was probably cancer and uh and i had doctors coming in to me saying oh i'm sorry you have cancer what were they saying
0: i'm sorry i probably couldn't everybody couldn't hear that they said
1: oh I'm, I'm 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 sorry you you have cancer it was a very much a hand patting kind of oh i'm sorry and the surgeon came in and said i've seen what what well, we're, we're looking at and i'm really really sorry you have cancer it's my third time through with this and i'm like doc you you gotta have a better bedside man than this you can't, you can't just come up and." and be like that. And so I'm like, doc, it's, I've learned, I personally learned that I need to have a really good bedside manner. You know, the docs, docs come in the, I say, doc, it's okay. Your patient's in the best of hands. It's, it's all right. This is <laughs> in the 21st century. We have really great medicine. Buck up. I think everything's gonna be okay. <laughs> so,
0: This is one of the greatest parts of this. So this is what we have a way to get to is because here comes a doctor come in and go, oh man, I gotta tell this 55 year old man, he's got cancer. And here comes the, tr- the tables get turned on this <laughs> poor doctor. This patient, Jonathan Sam's, like, hey, let's work on this. Let's work on your delivery. <laughs> <laughs> I got to, I'm going to teach you a few things. And you've taught many people, including myself, a few things on this. So uh, there's a great post on Facebook that you put on, and it went viral. Uh, and, I'll, and I'll be very frank and honest Jonathan Sam's does not want to be an inspiration. Right. He wants to be an encourager, and I got to spend a little bit of time talking about this because it's mostly because it's important to this guy, although he's ex- you are an inspiration to me and many others. Encouragement is the goal, and so to understand inspiring is about, you know, saying follow me or, or, or giving people energy to do things, to, you know, to be in front of them. Encouraging is to be behind somebody. To help them to push them along to find their own path. That's right. To, to to go through the challenges of their lives, and that's the purpose of really what we're trying to do is help people see that challenges are challenges. They might be cancer. They might be the loss of a loss of a loved one. They might be bad grades or being bullied right now by you know social media. They might be just not feeling like yourself or aging or growing or losing anything. Those are your challenges. The goal is to be an encourage to you encouragement to you throughout these challenges and the way that you look at life and the way that you go towards life with this outlook, we are using this opportunity of a cancer diagnosis to highlight. I'm highlighting one of my best friends, a great man. I get a little bit emotional and talk about this guy, but I'm highlighting somebody who I really respect that's in a, in a battle, in a fight, in a challenge, I can't take away from that. This is chemo running through his body right now. And yet the outlook is so positive and so strong and so neat that
1: it's not about outcome. It's, it's about outlook. Yeah, that's that's a really good way to say it. So you're right. So inspiration is totally the wrong way to look. at me. I'm just an ordinary guy. You know, it's living the life that I've been given to live. Right. But I do want to encourage people because, you know, everyone is listening to this. I mean, you're really, really important, and you have things to accomplish in life, and I want to see you accomplishment. and I don't want to be out in front of you saying, hey, look at me, look at me, look at what I'm doing. Instead, I want to be behind you, and I want you to know that you can do this, that you're okay, that it's going to be all right, that you have your life to live, that you have your things to accomplish, and those things are really, really important, and I want you to be able to focus on those things and move toward them and be successful at it, and to the degree that I can play a small role in this by giving you my perspective, that I want to give you that perspective. So. Yep beautiful let's let's get into perspective and
0: i'm i'm, I'm going to use a cheat sheet from what was posted by you on facebook and again this wasn't please understand it's never for the glory of jonathan sams this is for the encouragement and help to everybody else which is really fun i know that it's been a struggle of the year, so i just keep bringing it up But let's go through there are nine awesome he just, he just wrote hey some thoughts and you know just some of them are some of them are short maybe we want to expand on some of them some of them are a little bit long. Some of them are funny. Some of them are, are deep. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to just, I'm just going to walk through them with you if you don't mind. Yeah. So number one, I am not afraid in parentheses at all.
1: Let's talk about that. I'm not afraid at all. So, um, I don't decide the number of days I have on the face of the earth. And I've become very accustomed to that. You know, we both have a military background, uh, you know, I was blessed to be, um, on the USS Mobile Bay and, uh, and, you know, we served in combat during, during Desert Shield, Desert Storm. I've been through the Strait of Hormuz, I don't know how many times, John, maybe 150 times I've escorted takers to the Strait of Hormuz. Um, uh, you know, I've had cancer now three times, uh, and, uh, and, you know, challenging diagnoses that i've made it through i don't i don't have time to worry about some of that and i can't i can't you know curl up in in a ball and say oh you know i'm i'm worried what what's going to happen to me right i've got things to accomplish i'm not afraid you know i just want to keep on i just want to keep on doing positive things and helping people and live the life and live the mission that i've been given and uh and so anything else is a distraction so so being overly worried about myself is, is, is not a good outcome. Um, I'm also confident in my faith. You know, I believe in the sovereignty of God. I'm also confident in my kids who I have largely raised at this point and the people around me and the, and the structures I've built. And so, and that we built together um, and that Julia and I have built. Um, and so I'm not afraid. I just want to make sure that I use this experience well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think you're using the experience extremely well let's say I got this diagnosis and I came to you and I said, I am afraid. How do I, how do you help me through that? How do I, how do you keep me from balling up in the wall, balling up and, you know, into, you know, into a little ball in the corner and, and getting out?
1: So, I mean, this, this really is the, uh, the challenge and I don't want to understate what's going on with people with cancer or other things. No. Um, but, you, but we're
0: good friends, right? So, yeah. Uh, and I'm just saying, like, you you have the ability to come to me and tell me anything. And I'm, how you pull me out of that? If somebody is facing something really difficult right now and they are afraid. What advice do you have for them?
1: Number one, God has control of the number of days we have. What we have control over are what we do with those days. And so let's make sure that we use them well. Number two, uh, number 2 don't understate it, but I love you, right? And so I'm going to be there with you every step along the way, and your family's going to be there every step along the way, and I want you to know that because of that, things are going to be okay. Yep. Number three, this thing is serious. We're going to take it very seriously, but it's not a death sentence. You have a far more likelihood, far greater likelihood of surviving this thing than from dying from it. And so, um, let's focus on that. Number four, um, there are ways that you can enhance your survivability on this and your livability on on, on this thing. And so, f- let's focus on some of those things, um, which I think we'll talk about later. But but this is a this is a game of statistics. Sometimes cancer is. Yep. And so, how do we how do we improve our odds? Yep.
0: You know, it takes me back to reading. one of my favorite writers, Hill and Brandon. she wrote *Unbroken*. And it's really about four different stories all match up. But I always go back to this outlook piece of being afraid and then balling up or not being able to get out. And there was three guys in the, in the book, just to give you a bit of history, there was an airplane crash and three men got stuck in a life raft and they had to survive for the longest period ever. They set a record for the longest period ever of, of guys to survive out in the middle of the Pacific. And, and forgive me, because I think it was 70 plus days that they had to do this. One of them gave up. One of them just let fear take over, and the other two, and there was no food. And the other two just continued to try to keep a positive outlook. Those two survived. The other one just
1: literally faded away halfway through the journey. I think that's right. Positive outlook and determination. Be determined as you face some, as you face something. Right? Don't don't let other things get in the way. Be determined as you face it. Have a positive outlook and then be determined to be successful.
0: Okay, so number two from your post off of Facebook on Some Thoughts. Some Thoughts. We should wrote a book called Some Thoughts. That'd be kind of fun. Um, people pray for blessings and think that blessings mean, means easy. We always pray for stuff or for things that make our lives easier. Those are good to pray for. Keep doing it. But they are also kind of selfish blessings. Blessings are not, by definition, something that makes our lives more comfortable Blessings are things that come to us to give us the opportunity to do something good for other people.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. I, I agree with me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I wholeheartedly agree with the record. Jonathan is also my attorney. So, Well said, sir. I um, We will, every one of us, face adversity in our lives. Don't be afraid of adversity and don't resent it. There is opportunity in everything.
1: Well said, so you want to add anything to that one? So, so people see things as being, oh, that's positive. Oh, that's negative. And that's not necessarily true. So positive things, things you might think are positive, you could win the lottery. And guess what? You could waste your life. Or you could have cancer and you can actually use that to benefit people. And so what's positive and what's negative? Everything is opportunity. It's not a question of whether it's an opportunity. It's a question of how you use it. That's right. That's right. And through
0: the the vow, you know, through the, the, the course of your life, you go through these great moments where you have these awesome things that happen to you. Your child's born, you get married, you get a promotion, you, all these great things that happen. You go through these really dark times as well. And if you had to really go back and dissect them Some of those dark times really were the more formative times to make you your, to really pull out your true character, who you are, helped you get through things later in life, much like your journey, right? 14, 39,
1: 55. That's right. So the things you face in life, challenges, right? Number one, it gives you a chance to improve yourself. Mm -hmm. Number two, uh, it gives you a chance to be an example to other people. Number three, um, I think with most of us, if we, if we were honest and we look back that, uh, things are not accomplished in the easy times, that things are mostly accomplished through challenge and through difficulty. So when you, when, when when there's something to overcome, then you can, then there is a story to tell. There is a purpose on the other side and you have the opportunity to accomplish something. So this is a challenge right now, but it's not anything other than a blessing back to the thought before. Yeah. So how do you use these 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 things in order in order to have a good part of your story and and, and a good thing to 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 move toward? Yeah,
0: it's huge character development.
1: Yeah,
0: I'm I'm reading River of Doubt right now about Teddy Roosevelt, and. He was upset that he didn't have like a presidency or there wasn't a massive crisis during his <laughs> presidency. He was like, he was like jealous of Abraham Lincoln, you know, and all these like pre- previous presidents that went through something that was just so tough because that was their opportunity to rise or opportunity to do something. Greatness like, is accomplished
1: through challenge. I mean, yeah. it's, there's, there's there's no, there's no question about that. Yeah. Greatness is, have you ever heard this? Greatness is accomplished through ease. <laughs>
0: That's pretty good. i don't never heard that one. No. Uh, it's kind of, it goes against my life experience, right, of, of all and everything that is super hard. And now, you know, both of our children are all three, two two-year children, one of mine in college now going and facing the world for the first time. We let these three go. We thought you got all the tools in the world. You got all the structure, you got everything you need. Now go get your butt kicked <laughs> go out right. there and just get throttled by the world because it is going to kill you in a lot of ways. And in that fire that steel will be forged and you'll be, you'll be stronger.
1: That's exactly right. We've done everything we can
0: for you. You know, try to love them as much as we possibly could. All right. Number three, this one just speaks to my soul. This is like from the Lego movie. Every day is an awesome day. It is my responsibility to live up to it.
1: Yeah, man. I mean, that's, that's, that's it. I mean, today is an awesome day. Does it hurt? Yeah. Okay. So it hurts. Do I have neuropathy? Yeah, sure. Okay. I have neuropathy. Today is better than it was two week, than a week ago. You know, a week ago was really tough, but it's still an awesome day. And uh, and so, I mean, what am I going to do with this day, right? And so, it's my responsibility to do it. It's not just my opportunity. It's my responsibility to live up to it. Yep, one hundred percent. Um,
0: one of my SEAL team buddies, uh, one of my one of my buddies, my buds class buddies. When I went through SEAL team training. When I went through, he was thirty eight. I was twenty, early twenties, twenty two. He was 38 years old going through hell week hell week is a five-day event that is the most physical brutal week of any any person's life that i can possibly imagine and uh he made it it was just an absolute study makes it all the way through you know and throughout time we we stay very close he's great he's, uh is i think he's a little bit older than you now and uh his name is tom smith and smith if you're listening this is for you buddy he calls me, and he says, one of the greatest lines ever. He said, how you doing? I said, you know, how you feeling these days, Tommy? He's like, great. Great, big Irish guy. Great, I'm I'm, all in one piece. And all of it hurts. <laughs> like, every piece of it hurts. It's so great. It's like, so true, you know? Um, But with that, i us just take a moment to talk about the gift of our bodies. The gift that we've been given of the space that we get to rent, which is our bodies. And if you've done things like I have done, or if you were an athlete or heck, if you, if you suffered some traumatic car accident or something, your body might not be moving the way you want it to move. And as you get older and you get an age, it's a, it's a battle. And, and I had to take a whole different change of life in my forties and I'm reaching my I'm almost into my fifties now to go and I got to become friends with this being that's carried me around my whole life.
1: I've watched you go through that. That's true. That's been, that's been a challenge for you because you've always been so physical yeah. and now you have, now you have to actually protect that body that you use so, so much. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. It's like this,
0: this crazy new, like for the first time, let's say for my entire life, my physicality was a big part of it. And you know, being a good swimmer a water pole player and then becoming a seal being physical and being able to do things or go to the gym and just feel good about being physical. That was amazing. And then all of a sudden I lost that physicality. I had to go through major back surgery. I had to really, I mean, I had to sit and not move for, for, for a couple of years. And I had to stop and actually thank my body for the adventure that I got to go on up until this point. Yep. It's easy for us to sit back and say, ah, it's killing me. Ah, I need to go i want to go i want to go do that i want to be able to walk that way and i can't do that right now easy for us to say that for 40 years i treated my body like a rental car like get, if it's broke give me another one <laughs> fix this come on doc get this going because i got places to, i mean i would, couldn't wait to zoom out and uh now it's a classic car right i'm treat it a little different gotta treat it differently you gotta take care of it self-compassion rest taking care
1: of yourself Rest is something we both struggle with. Well, and 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 to that point, I mean, I think that play really does play into this. How do you define yourself within the confines of who you are? Right, not who you were, but who you are. How do you define yourself in in that? And how do you pursue life's mission within that? You know, and so I think it, I think that I think that speaks very well to what we're talking about. Right yeah. Now. How do you define yourself within
0: yourself in the self that you are in today? Right. Right. It's right now today. This is the self that I'm in. Right. Like I woke up today and my back hurt a lot, but what did I do? I I did get my workout in, but I got my stretching in too. And I got my hydration going now. I got like, yeah, there's a lot going on. How do you rise to the occasion every day? Right. Um, And then some days it's when I, when I do wake up and it hurts and I can't do anything, then I'm instead of going for that workout, I'm going to take my old friend, my body, Go have a cup of coffee that's right and we're going to sit and we're going to relax we're just going to have some time together yep and that's what he needs and that's what i'm going to give him so let's go back to point number four i think it's a perfect segue into point number four difficult things do do a lot for us first they're an opportunity to improve and strengthen ourselves and our faith second they give us a platform to serve others through example and through the development of relationship together. Third, they give us a platform of faith lived, and fourth, they help us develop wisdom and gratitude. I gotta say, this is kind of what we're trying to use—is obviously a platform to help you kind know, of spread, right. you know, the, the news here. Right. That, that cancer is not a death sentence.
1: It's not. Yeah, and so and so when, you... so I'll use you for ex- an example again, right? So when you're strong, when you're when you Sanchez are strong, right? W- what, we're, we're strong? When you are strong, <laughs> when you that's were that's... strong, are strong. Um, uh, then you're hard to keep up with, right? And so I mean you're like the secretariat of humanity with a, with a heart double the size of, of of the normal racehorse, right? I see myself as, more like uh, seed biscuit. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'd see myself as a Clydesdale, but uh, but. But so it makes it makes all these really great things about you um, really difficult to approach because it's hard to keep up with you. only when you become vulnerable. Are you really able to share some of these things about yourself with with other people? And so when we're all vulnerable, that that opens ourselves up to be able to walk with other people because other people need we need to be able to relate together. Right and and walk journeys together and so this time of vulnerability is not accidental this time of vulnerability is really important and so how do how do we use this time period with me with cancer you know how do do I use this and thank you for giving me the opportunity the platform today to be able to talk to talk to people and so if you're if if you're hurt then it gives you an opportunity to to uh, to talk to other people other people who were hurt and people who are living on the top of the world that may not even be a good time to talk to them about their life's mission or where they're going, but when they are hurt and they're vulnerable, then then they need to know that their life has value, when they're moving forward, and you have that you have the opportunity to use that as a platform to talk to them. So,
0: yep, I love vulnerability and humility. I think in in terms of leadership, like those are real strengths. Somebody who can be humble, and I'm talking really humble. Like we could say, "Oh, humble," I don't, you know, I take credit here or there, right? but. The humility to admit your mistakes, the humility to listen, the humility to open yourself up, and vul- "vulnerness" is Latin for open wound. It mm-hmm. actually means open wound. That's pretty strong, right? If you really dissect that word, that is is being like really showing people your inner self, um, and in that inner inner openness, you can create connection.
1: Yeah, because if because if you have an if you don't have an open wound, then you say, "Okay, everybody, follow me," and everyone will blame you, and everyone will judge you, and no one will take the journey with you. But if you're vulnerable, then they'll take your hand, and you'll go on that journey together. And if you're going together, then then you're both working on it, and you're a lot stronger together than you are separate.
0: Yeah. Amen. All right, number five, one line. I love living an interesting life. That's true. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that one made me laugh. I'm like,
0: ah, that's great.
1: You only get one. I mean, why, why why live a boring life? So, Yeah. Very interesting.
0: Multifaceted. So here's another, I think another great thing in life is as we go through, the multifaceted nature of life can be so fun. Like you've got me into, I went over to your farm. Geez, I don't even know how many years ago now. Come on over, there's always something going on with Sam's farm, by the way. Always, and um, what are we doing today? Well, you know, Jonathan looks like an astronaut or one of the guys out of ET going and things. He's, <laughs> he's got a bee suit on, <laughs> walking out to Ohio. I'm like, I'll come with you. Like, oh, yeah, I'll
1: come along with you there, neighbor. In true, so, in true seal fa- fashion, without a bee, bee suit on,
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true. He's stand over there. And all he's ripping open the hives, and we start pulling out all this comb, and all of a sudden we're spinning, and, and honey's flowing. And I'm like, "This is cool! I can do this. This will be fun." And in 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 no time, I had my own hives. Yeah. Started doing my own stuff, having fun. Just started a whole new path. Um, we built things together. We started to raise chickens together. Built a chicken coop together. Then all these things, in in those things, it wasn't about keeping bees. It wasn't about keeping chickens which by the way didn't survive my dogs were no nope. my nope. dogs are a little <laughs> bit stronger than my chickens that's a whole other podcast but was learning and learning new things and being curious and going towards life with this really fun curiosity because something really special happens when you know two knuckleheads are in a barn trying to like cut things and and, and shape things to to create things and our children are watching because they're still young and running around and you want to speak to a man of a million hobbies and how you you know you know i i come over and i'm like what's he doing now he's like literally building structures on his farm literally building fence line structures all this great stuff it's always always in motion what what, what drives your multifaceted nature towards just a million hobbies and-
1: yeah so i like my son nathan and am- Curious all, all the time. I, w- I wanna see things. I want to know how they work. I don't just want to watch it. I want to learn it. I want I want to be a part of it. And so when it comes time to woodworking, I do woodworking. Turning wood, okay, let's go get a lathe and let's turn wood. Let's go. You want to build a barn, then why aren't we building a barn? Let's let's <laughs> let's do it. And so chicken coops, that's great. You want to build a solar kiln to dry wood? Let's do that. You want to mill lumber, then let's mill lumber. Let's go. You know, you want to raise steer, then let's get out and raise steer. Now along that path. I mean, sometimes you fall off a ladder and sometimes a steer bucks you into a fence and (laughs) your breath is knocked out, you know? And so like with cancer, many times in my life, I wind up on the ground looking at the sky saying, okay, that one hurt. Let's get back up. Let's do it again. So great. All right. Number six,
0: I am so blessed by good and easy things too, that it is ridiculous. I have an amazing family. I have incredible friends. That is all of you. I have great work and fantastic coworkers. I have a church that I love. I have a community that I get to serve. I have great doctors. Mm mm mm. Just blessed. Thank you, everyone.
1: Mm mm mm. So blessed. Yeah. Don't feel sorry for me. I got cancer, but that's only one part. And so I mean, why feel sorry for me? Good gravy. Yeah. I've got I've got challenges in my life, but that's a real life. Live your real life. Take take a time take the time to count your blessings around you because. I have a great family. I have great friends. I have great work. And so God's blessed me in so many ways. How could could I ever feel sorry for myself? I'm just grateful. And I am grateful for the opportunity that I have right now with cancer. Cancer is not a curse. Cancer is a blessing. And so I just want to live up to the blessing I've been given. It's an honor to live up to that blessing. It's great. (coughs)
0: Let's go to point number seven is, is on prayer. And in this, you talk about the interconnectedness of prayer. Can you expand on that?
1: Yeah. So people think that when you pray, that it's from me to God, that that's a line. And that's from God to me. And that prayer is a solitary activity. And then they think that prayer is from you to God and God to you. And that's a solitary activity too. But that's not true. um, Because there's also this line that connects each other. Me to you, and so when we both go before God and we submit ourselves to God together, then that's then that's us together before God, and so that's a relationship issue between us and God, but also a relationship between, uh, issue between each other. And that's an important part. Don't don't miss that. When 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 you when you join with others in prayer, then you are joining with others. That's the point to that, and then doing it in submission to God together. It's the community. It's the community. It is is community. And it goes
0: back to really 14, not being afraid, 39, not being afraid. I, mean, I asked you, you know, what, what got you through? And you said, I felt loved. I knew that I was loved. And that's the commune. That's the bringing together. When that's you, right. When you bring that into, whether it be prayer, God, you know, and like when you bring that all in together, it's like is one love. It all, it all, you know, it gives you that sense of peace. It gives you that sense of belonging. It gives you that sense of. It's the only thing I've ever been close enough to be able to come to is through prayer, is to feel that. So it's like everything's gonna be all right.
1: That's right.
0: That's right. And we as humans, are constant warriors. People worry, right, all the time. People don't think that I worry. People probably don't think that you worry. We probably worry a little bit less due to the crazy experiences that we've been blessed to have. Um, but we're not built to go through this world without worry. But as you said in in, in one of your posts, worry never going to give you another day of life. It's not. Right? Worry is not, not going to help you. There's no it's almost a, I believe it's a, it's a waste of energy. It exists for a reason to help you stay alive. It exists for a reason to help you see through challenges. But for the most part, we spend way too much time, you know, worrying about things that will never, ever happen.
1: Worry is not a tool to help you accomplish anything. You know, we worry, worry does help you put things in, into perspective. But that's that's all that it does. And so I think it's in Luke where it says, who by worrying can add a single day to our lives. So don't don't worry about the number of days. I don't worry about the number of days that God's gonna give me. I worry about what I'm gonna do with those days.
0: Mm-hmm. Which brings me to point number eight. You like you like perfectly like segue into these things. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, <I> mean, <laughs> number eight, I am absolutely confident that God has me exactly
1: where he wants me to be. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think this isn't an, an accident. I think this is my opportunity, and uh, and so people may disagree. Say, like, Jonathan, you know things happen, and, and so God doesn't, you know, uh, inflict pain on people. And uh, well, I don't. First, I don't consider this to be an an affliction, right? This is something I have to deal with. I don't know what the end of the road is, but I don't consider it to be an affliction. I see it as being an opportunity. Um, but I think that in this position. That God has me where where he wants me to be. And the only question is, is how am I going to use this opportunity? And so one of the things I struggle with is I want to have good discernment. How, do, how you know, when I pray, I, I pray, God, help me understand how to use this opportunity to help people around me. Um, because I don't want to waste this. I don't want to be so foolish or so short-sighted as, as to make this experience worth nothing. In fact, these posts on Facebook I I don't typically go and post on Facebook. I decided to post on Facebook because an experience unshared is an experience wasted, and I don't want to waste this experience. That's right on. And thank you to you for this opportunity on this platform, this, this really great platform to be able to share this experience with other people. Let me take us on a little sidebar here. This,
0: this all wouldn't exist without Jonathan Sams. This, this whole idea of Team Performance Institute and all this stuff started on my couch uh 2012-ish and i felt a different calling to go do something bigger with my life i really enjoyed my life i really enjoyed being on my children i had a great career i was moving along but uh you told me like if you can't really show up and be yourself you said it went way way better than i can that it's a huge injustice not to live your full potential it's a huge injustice not to listen to yourself when you're being called to go do something bigger or better so this was nothing but a pie in the sky dream for me is to have something as simple as this little studio and uh, to be able to do things like this so well it, it all comes full circle mr
1: Sam. So you put you, yourself in
0: that seat my friend
1: you get you guys as seals actually ha- have a big struggle and, and, and i sympathize with you and it's and it's a very hard balance to to walk and so you go through and you have very specialized training and you have and there are a lot of things you can't talk about whatsoever and uh, and the world looks up to you and and they put you on a pedestal and, and and so you try to not use that as a tool to your own advantage and you try not to be you try not to brag about it and you try to try 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 to speak it down and yet you it's also an important part of who you are and so what I said was the greatest indignity is to deny who you are and so when you were going through that how do you how do you balance it i mean you have to embrace who you are as, as you move forward and beyond that you had the vision for tpi and the things you wanted to accomplish and so i just encouraged you and said hey look you know you can accomplish it by going through this and just put out your matrix and measure it from there and you can see from your matrix that you'll be successful at it and you said yep you're absolutely right and then you went Jumped right over the bridge and went. Yeah, I could have used all these points though throughout that because I was freaking out. I was like, I don't know how
0: am I gonna do this? Number one, I'm not afraid. Nope. I was very afraid. Um, uh, people pay for blessings. I wanted this to be easy. It was not. Yeah, I I pretty much failed every single one of these. Look at how many look
1: at how many people you've impacted through TPI, though, the businesses and, and and the people who you've been able to help develop through this process. And so you're living out your life mission. You're exactly where you're supposed to be.
0: Well, I feel that way. But I am really honored to have those
1: people in my life.
0: I'm honored to have the people that took chances, people that said, sure, you know, we'll, you know, sure, sure, John, you're trying something new. We'll, we'll bring you on and we'll do that. And we had to prove ourselves. But it was, I felt really honored and blessed. I also felt like it is not because of being a Navy SEAL or anything else. I think I had more... Um, to share through my failures and more to share through my struggles of leadership and more to share through all the different things. I'm totally flawed and broken and in so many, in so many ways, but but somehow survived through it. And now we can we can help others who are leading. Cause that that game out there in leadership, whether you're a leader in your family, I believe we're all leaders, a leader of your family or you're a leader of your community, your church, uh a leader in your company, it's a battle. It's a it's it a is. fight.
1: And, um, you know, I think that's I think that's I think what you just said is really, really important, John, because, you know, I think people who accomplish things. um, So other folks say, oh, it's so it's so easy and and you're great. Look, people who accomplish things are people who accomplish things wounded. People who accomplish things are people who accomplish things after failures. People who accomplish things are ones who keep moving forward. And whether you're in cancer. Right. then, uh, Then I mean, you're wounded. But that's OK. You're going to keep moving forward because you have an important life to, to live. Right. As, as when you're in the military, even at the highest levels. Right. It's a challenge and 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 you're not always going to be successful, but you have to keep moving forward. Right. You have to keep moving towards success. And that's how you're ultimately going to be successful. Right. You know, Despite the challenge, despite the pain, you're going to move forward.
0: Despite the challenge, despite the pain, you sparked to me something that um, Kerry Collat said. Kerry Collat, um, if you're in the wrestling community, you know that name very well. Probably one of the best wrestlers that the United States has ever seen. He's now the uh, head coach for the United States Naval Academy. And when he was interviewing my son to come and go wrestle for him, he said, I, I don't care what you are at 100%. I know, you're, you know 100% is fine, but you don't get to wrestle at 100% all the time. I, at 60%, when you're, when you're feeling down, when you're feeling out, that's what I want to see. I want to see you win when you're at 60% or 70%, like that's when it's most important because nobody's going to be at hundred percent all the time. That's right. Nobody's going to be peaking all the time. You can't be, how are you when you're not hundred percent? And that's
1: how you create an Olympian. That's how you create the best of the best, the cream of the crowd. That's, that's, that's why I'm things like the Rocky movies speak to us, right? Yeah. Because because it's not it's not when you know you just go out and, and are immediately victorious, right? It's when you're pulling yourself up, when you have the blood coming out of your nose, when you're in pain, right? And you're struggling. And that's when you stand up. That's when character counts. That's when you decide who you are. And that's when you finally find what you're going to accomplish and how you can accomplish yep. it. Absolutely.
0: Which in closing or not just closing out this section here is it's about being in the fight. Number nine, our last point from, from this great Facebook post is I am nothing but honored to be in this fight. Right. You've kind of touched on a bit. You want to touch on that a little bit more?
1: Yeah. So my analogy there is, is when you're a sophomore, you know, I've, in high school, I played football. So it's my analogy that came to my head when you're a sophomore and you're called by your coach to uh, play on, on the varsity field. Um, that's not going to be easy, right? It's going to be a challenge. Uh, it's going to be hard, but, uh, but, but you're really honored by it and you're going to do your best. So, uh, I feel like I've been, uh, challenged by God to, uh, step up to the varsity, right? And so he says, Jonathan, get out there, play. I'm giving you Burkitt's lymphoma. What are you going to do with this? How are you going to use this? And so, I try to get out and I try to use that. I try to encourage other cancer patients to be more well-prepared. Um, and so when I'm in the hospital and I'm talking to other cancer, cancer pa- patients, I try to encourage them. When I'm in the hospital, I try to encourage my nurses because they have a hard job and, and, and people are uncomfortable around them. How do, how do I keep the wind under their wings when I run into other people who are having challenges in life? How do, how do I encourage them? You know using this experience so that they can look at their lives and they can say okay it's time for us to move forward and i really do have a purpose and so i feel like i'm on the varsity field and i feel like i'm underplaying, and, and i certainly want to play harder <laughs> i love that
0: um one of the things that you just mentioned and is really important around preparedness yeah and is you know how do you prepare for crisis um you know, one of my favorite sayings. is, you know, it's, it's uh, when you need a friend, it's, it's too late to make one, right? When you're in a crisis, it's too late to start preparing for crisis. Uh, at some point, we are all going to be in crisis, health, something could happen today that, you know, will bring you to a, some type of a, you know, it's, it's just, we're, we're, life is a, is a randomizer, right? And, and things will happen. Talk to us a little bit about preparing for that. I right? like what's your, how do you prepare? How, you know, how, how would one prepare themselves for crisis?
1: So I think the first step is, is exactly what, what you said is you have to be prepared for crisis ahead of time, because when you're in the thick of battle, that is not the time to say to yourself, it is time to get ready for this. Mm-hmm. And so I was traveling with my 12-year-old son in the truck the other day, and, uh, and I talked to him about crisis and preparation. And so I said, look, crisis comes in all of our lives. Hard times come in all of our, our lives. And there are four areas that you need to really prepare yourself in. And so I'm saying this to my 12-year-old son, right? But he knows I'm going through cancer, and he knows, he knows what's going on. Um, but he knows that the lessons apply to him and his life, too. And so i reached out and i touched his head and i said first you have to be mentally prepared you have to understand who you are and you have to be ready to be durable and to have a positive attitude on what you're doing and to endure whatever happens and so you have to get yourself mentally straight and realize that you live in a real world not an artificial world not a made-up world you need to prepare for your for crisis mentally i reached out and i touched his arm i said you need to prepare yourself physically So that means getting out and walking. That means, uh, lifting weights. That means having a a strong physical body because I can tell you, even though I was very physically prepared for this, you know, my arms are as thin as a girl's right now. I mean, they're, they're they're, they're thin. I've lost, I've lost strength because I am spending what I, what I saved physically. Mm -hmm. And so being physically prepared is, is really, really important. Um, being emotionally prepared that this is not going to, and I touched his heart on this one, and and I, I said, look, this life's not always easy, and you need to emotionally prepare yourself for that. And when life's not easy, it's okay. You're gonna you're gonna make through it. Make yourself. You're gonna make um, you're gonna make your way through it, and you're gonna be successful. But be prepared for it. And then you need to be spiritually prepared. And so when you're spiritually prepared, you have to rely on the sovereignty of God. You have to rely on your relationship with God and uh, and know that no matter what, ultimately, we have the promise of eternal life and that it's going to be all right. So be mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually prepared and do it ahead of time. And I'll also say that when you're trying to make decisions at the moment of crisis, you will invariably make the wrong decision. The time to make decisions about crisis is long before you face the crisis. Yeah. And you and I have an analogy of uh, the soldier who, uh, when the grenade is tossed, that is not the time to make the decision as to what you're gonna do about that, whether you're gonna throw yourself on that grenade or whether you're not gonna throw yourself on that grenade. Soldiers who do that to protect their brothers, they made that decision long before that grenade was ever thrown because your every instinct is to flee from it, but that's not necessarily the right decision. Yeah.
0: So this goes into our theme on encouragement right that our day-to-day lives can be seen as an incremental layering of preparedness that you might think you got your peloton workout in today to get better shape or so you can you know look better in your bathing suit but inevitably it helps build every aspect of your life it could be preparing you for something bigger than you can than, than you can imagine you can look at reading or look at building or look at friendships and developing stronger relationships is, these are the things that I should be doing in life. And we all hopefully know that that is true, but, but, it, but also it's a way for aligning yourself at Team Performance Institute. We have rules of engagement. Our second role of engagement is surround yourself with the best people possible. That's not only to make life enriched and better. It's to create a safety net for when things go wrong. Right. Um, Because we're all going to need friends. We're all going to, you know, hopefully we don't have to go through this world alone. And and my wife being a doctor, and she's watched a lot of people pass in the hospital all alone. And that that just blows my mind. You know, I I can't get over the fact that we'd let any human leave this earth alone. Agreed. And maybe it's that goes back to what you're saying about being loved. You know, that that sense of love that that really can keep you going. Um. Let's talk a little bit about um, you touched on a little bit. Let's we'll talk about if somebody does get a diagnosis, you know, what advice you would give them. We'll talk about family support a little bit, the family that's around you right now. And then terminology. I know that's important to you like terminology around like, okay. Cause the, when the doctor came to you the first time at 14,
1: head hanging low and you know, Every time. I mean, almost every time the second time with dr lemming was was not was not the case but uh but uh, as far as uh thoughts around the patient and the family first i think it's harder on the family than it is on the patient because we as the patient we know what we're going through we know we can endure it and so uh but the family is worrying about us and so um, i just think it's harder on the family than it is on the patient like i said I knew if I was loved, it, it would be okay. And I didn't know what the outcome would be. And I, and I guess you never do know what the outcome is going to be every day. Right. But, uh, but it's okay. So I, I think it's harder on the family. And so I think both the patient and the family need to need to uh, just love each other through it. Um, as far as terminology, uh, uh, so I think that doctors need to come to their patients with a lot of confidence. And that that doesn't mean they're not realistic. This may be a challenging circumstance, but I think they need to come and say, Hey, look, we, this is, this is our diagnosis or even before the diagnosis, these are going to be the steps that we're going to take you through towards diagnosis. We're going to move quickly on this. I want you to know that we are excellent doctors, that we are relying on methodologies that have been tried and true tested to the scientific method that will give you the best opportunity for, for healing. You individually are important to us. So you're not just a statistic. You're not just, you know, a lab rat that we care about your health, but we are actual, actually physicians. We're not just scientists. We are physicians and we are here to take care of you. We're going to be with you every single step along the way. And then I think physicians need to give a good outline of what, of what's going to happen. If it's in the diagnostic phase, than an outline of the diagnostic phase. Once we know what the diagnosis is and we know what the treatment plan is, then, I, then I'm telling you, I've been through this three times now, and every time I am surprised by additional procedures that no one ever told me about that they apparently knew about, but they didn't tell me. And so I didn't know until they were walking in with, with, with a needle to do a lumbar puncture and, and, and put uh, chemotherapy into my cerebral spinal fluid that that was going to happen. And I said, what's going on? Well, we're going to do this. Uh, When did that happen? Why is it happening? Right. And so uh, surprises are bad because surprises, if those consistently happen, then a patient can't see their way to the end of the tunnel. It's just like when you're a kid and you're traveling in a car and you're saying how much longer is the trip and you have no concept as to what time is. And so it seems like forever. Same thing with a patient. A patient needs to be able to count down through, through the process and say, okay, this is how much further and this is what we're doing and I understand where we're at and so I think doctors need to communicate what the process is a lot more. I think the doctors need to have more individual communication with the patients even pick up the telephone and call them at home and say, hey I'm just checking in on you to sit to see how you're doing you're important to me yeah. And finally you know no matter how no matter how difficult the circumstance no matter how how difficult the the diagnosis, I think the doctor needs to have a positive attitude. So you can think about a football coach um, and the football coach will come up to you to the team uh, at at, at, at a big championship game game. And and the coach will say, well, game, here we are. We're at a championship game game. You're smaller than the other side. You're not as strong as the other side. Uh, I really don't think we have great chances, and so I'm going to stand on the sideline and watch my favorite football team. And after it's all over, well, I guess we'll go home and I'll have dinner and whatever, right? Or the coach can say, team, tonight is a night that you're going to remember for the rest of your life. Tonight, it's not about them. It's about us. Tonight, it's not a test of strength. It's not a test of speed. It's a test of character. And we're going to go through this. and We're going to win which team do you want to be a part of, right? The team that g- just goes through a process or a team that sets a challenge before itself and the idea of accomplishment. And so that's the team I want to be a, a part of. And so I think doctors need to go in, in, into these things with a lot of confidence, a lot of personal investment, clear explanation, and a challenge to to, to their patient to be successful through it. And I, and I think that's the best way to go about it. Yeah. It's a beautiful way. Of, I've watched,
0: witnessed, been in the hospital with you. Um, for those listening, you know, Jonathan goes in and out of the hospital for weeks of treatment. Yeah. Um, and, um, saw something that I've never seen before. It was really fun to watch. And that is you being an encourager to the healthcare providers around <laughs> you. These people are, they're coming in and he's like, oh, you have the hardest job ever. Here's a cancer patient laying in bed on like a 20 hour drip of chemo which we're going to get into in a second round, like that, the process of that, but encouraging the people around you because you know that their lives are also difficult. Yeah. Their lives are also hard that their day to day lives, frankly, are a lot harder than my day to day life and a lot harder than your day to day life outside of cancer. That is so oh my gosh, these people are every day in these hospitals dealing with oncology and, you know
1: and real hard stuff and patients families who are worried about them patients who are in pain patients who are going through medical procedures they have no familiarity with families yelling at them uh patients who sometimes can't get out of bed um uh, patients who code on them that they have to go in and try to try to bring back patients who die on them and uh and then on top of that you had COVID over the last couple of years and so additional protocols associated with that and uh, additional workloads, a, de- a decreasing uh, uh, employee base among nurses. And so, I mean, how do, you, how do you get in and encourage these people to say, you're important, your job, is, you are the hand of God on earth. And so thank you for what you're doing. And So I have the ability to do that. I'm in that position at that time for that reason. And so um, if you're a patient, then make sure you're encouraging your healthcare staff and your nurses because they are really working hard. Your physicians, your nurses. And, uh, and they need encouragement, too, because they have to deal with this day in, day out. And I talk about, uh, you know, doctors, uh, 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 you know, making sure that each, each patient knows that they're important. Well, I'm, it's, it's hard because you're getting hit with you're getting bludgeoned with these physical realities and these emotional realities all the time. And so how do you sustain this and, and maintain professional detachment and still uh, treat each patient as an important patient? That's challenging. And so I think it's important to encourage these people. Uh, particularly if you're a patient or a patient's family and if you're not then uh when you meet one encourage them encourage each other no matter what your profession is but that them in particular
0: yeah that's beautiful i think it's it's a good way to kind of wrap wrap this up it goes back to our overall mission around encouragement um to those around us this very selfishly i get all these phone calls and texts how's jonathan doing how's jonathan samson like he's doing great you know better than most of us (laughs) i don't know why Oh yeah, he has cancer. I totally forgot about that part because like he just is living in what you do for these, for those around you and a perfect, just a perfect, very physical living example of it is, is those healthcare providers that are in there. You, you know, have been through a lot and you can see outside of yourself, right? You see outside of yourself in in one of the hardest times in your life. Um, and that's a true test of, that's a true
1: win in character. Um, well, you're an encourager, you know, and so I've, I've had, I've been blessed to surround myself with encouragers, you and my daughter Elizabeth, who does it naturally. And so, you know, I try to live up to you guys. Truly. <laughs> I hope everybody else is laughing at that last comment because like, you t-
0: Oh, Sam's Oh Lordy. All right. So um, I love to finish um podcast with, um, with a couple things, but before before I finish this one, wrap this one. Up, I would love to say, like in the in the hospital, you've been doing something very unique. When you go in, and then you've been walking, um, and you only have a 300 foot uh, corridor to walk, right? So we're talking, yeah, you know, football field. That's it, 261 feet. That's how far we measured it. 261 feet. And throughout your treatments, um, correct me. Four so far? Four, four so far. Four so far. In the hospital, you've walked over
1: 100 miles.
0: Yep. 100 and...
1: Let's call it 100. I think maybe 120, but I'm going to call it 100. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to call it 100 plus
0: miles. So far, 100 plus miles. Um, and that's all an encouragement, right? And you started to encourage other patients yep. to get out of bed and walk, to not see this. This is a living example of going through something... That you could consider extremely i don't know like tragic and seeing it in a different way and then yet encouraging people through through literally walking through the halls of life
1: in a very encouraging way so i've had a chance to walk up and down the halls and uh and the nurses will come to me and say tell me thank you for for doing that because um when i start walking then other patients will look out and they'll say who is that what's he doing and uh, the nurses will tell him and, uh, and then I have other people who come and they start walking too. So the next thing you know, I've got a track team of walkers walking up and down the halls out there. And so, uh, number one, prognostic uh, opportunities are better for people who walk than if they don't, if you have cancer. And that's something I found out from one of the physicians last time I was in. Uh, and number two, you know, it goes down to being physically prepared. If, even if you weren't, I, I can't address all of people's emotional or spiritual or, or, or mental needs but I can help them address the physical need while, while, while I'm there. And so walking up and down my halls is one way that I do that try to encourage other people with, with that. Um, i walked it on one day, I did a 10 mile walk on another day. I did a half marathon. And during my last stay, I intend to do a full marathon in a single day. And, uh, and the reason why I'm doing that is, is because, you know, I believe there are, external things that that could prevent us from accomplishing things i think there are external barriers that could be very real you know uh uh maybe maybe you're not tall enough to play professional basketball right maybe maybe have certain physical infirmities or ailments that that'll keep you from doing something maybe you weren't born into that class of society or or what whatever it is i believe that there are some external factors but i'm not certain that i've ever run into anyone who Actually ran into one of those external uh, uh, inhibitors. Rather, people paint circles of discouragement around themselves, around other, and around other people, and they're just they just paint it on the floor around themselves, and they say, "I can't," and so they never pass that circle. And so, um, here's my message: um, If I, a cancer patient, uh, while taking t- chemotherapy with 20 hour bags. I take four 20 hour bags in a row when I'm in the hospital. Um, If I can do that while pushing an IV stand, if I can walk a full marathon, right? It's not about me. I have faith in the people who are listening to this. I think we all have purpose. I think we all have things that we, that we can accomplish, you know, step beyond that circle that people tell you that you can't get past. It's not true. Just step out, accomplish what you're supposed to be accomplishing. Have courage have faith have faith in yourself I have faith in you and so I want to I want people to step out and, and do these things they ought to be and so I love you guys step out and accomplish what you're supposed to do and uh, and if you want to walk a little while with me now or later now I'm gonna be walking a marathon my, during my last treatment cycle so you walk the marathon of your life beautiful
0: absolutely beautiful um, I don't think there's a better way to, to close this out um, you guys thanks for for joining me and jonathan sams here on the next level we'll put into um put into comments and we'll, we'll try to put into things i know that you're also raising some funds for the hospitals and raising some funds for um for other cancer uh, other folks who have been diagnosed with cancer so we'll put in some links should anybody want to be a part of you know the solution and part of the cure and a part of the encouragement that we're that we're putting out there certainly wasn't the purpose of, of, of this entire podcast. The purpose was to um, continue to hopefully, you know, fill your lives with, with encouragement, fill your lives with good, good people. And there's very few people I've met in this, this world that are better than you, Mr. Sales. Thank you, Look, brother. Hmm. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us on The Next Level. We hope that you found a couple of tips or insights today that you can take into your daily life. To learn more about our leadership training programs, our executive coaching programs, and the Team Performance Institute, please visit us at teamperformanceinstitute.com or email us at info@teamperformanceinstitute.com. At Hope you have an awesome day.